1: everybody. It is wonderful to see you all here, wonderful to step into this day. The wisteria is in bloom in the courtyard, so the world is in this corner of it, in this moment, is worthy of giving thanks. And it's full of surprises. So actually for the first time in pandemic, we had a musician cancel because they had COVID, but because they rehearsed together, all four of them have canceled. The good news is that that means we get a phenomenal organ concert to shake your bones the whole hour through from our incredible Reiko odelaine So immense gratitude for Reiko, always, but especially this morning. <laughs> and thanks also to Ben Rudiak-Gould, who's going to lead us in song. Thanks to Wonder Dave, our worship associate, and Lori Lai, who is a member of our board of trustees and is going to be giving our reflection this morning. I'm so grateful to have them both leading worship with me. We have some special guests. We have Don Shearer and Eric Shackelford working the camera, Jonathan Silk making it all work seamlessly, Joe Chapeau answering your questions on chat. If you are joining us via live stream, welcome into this space together. I want to open this morning with some words I found Before I do, a quick note that part of our extended worship life together are some of the gatherings that we have outside of this space and this hour, like our pagan rituals and gatherings, but also our annual Seder, which we weren't able to do last year. There will be more information about signups, but we wanna just let folks know who love to be a part of that gathering or who'd like to this year for the first time, that it will be on Friday, April 22nd. So just note that in your calendars. If you can steer your family and friends away from that date, if you have family seders and be able to join this one with this community and family, that would be lovely as we do such a beautiful job gathering together to honor the story and the rituals of Passover each year. So these words I came across, I thought were this lovely frame for worship and for all of our spiritual journeys, this work we do to open ourselves and take beginner's mind. They're by Krishnamurti who writes, what we are about to undertake is an expedition together, a journey of discovery into the most secret recesses of our consciousness, and for such an adventure, we must travel light. We cannot burden ourselves with opinions, prejudices, conclusions that is, with all the baggage that we have collected over the past 2,000 years or more. Forget everything you know about yourself. Forget everything that you have ever thought about yourself, we are going to set off as if we know nothing. In that spirit of worship and gathering together, we light our candle, bringing together all those who are with us in body, but those who are joining us in spirit, in our live stream community spread all over in the places that we find ourselves this morning. And now let's join, rise, embody your spirit as you're able, and let's sing our first hymn in the service where we're honoring legacy, this hymn about the the ranks of time and people that stand together as we gather.
2: Hither, loud the hallowed walls demand whence we come, and how and whither. From their stillness breaking clear, echoes wake to warn or cheer. Higher truth from saint and. Saint. Assembled here. Ours the year's memorial store, Honor days and names we reckon, Days of comrades gone before, Lives that speak and deeds that beckon, From the dreaming of the night, to the labors of the day, shines their everlasting light, guiding us upon. be hard and long. Still we strive in expectation. Join we now their ageless song, one with them in aspect.
1: if you will, join me in saying the words of our chalice lighting printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
0: Good morning. It's lovely to see you all in person. I know I said it the last time I was here, but it's still true. Uh, if you are joining us via Limestream, if this is your first time watching, thanks for joining us. If this is your hundredth time watching, also, thanks for joining us. Uh, you can follow along in the order of service which is available in the description of this video and email to everyone who receives our newsletter which you can get by signing up through a, a link to our connection form that is in the order of service and the video description. Uh, The Order of Service also lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour for live stream folks, which takes place parallel uh, to the in-person coffee hour, which will happen here at the church out in that courtyard for those of you who are here in person. Uh, Please note, in the Order of Service, chances to deepen your spiritual practices, engage in deeper study, and also put your values into practice through a variety of opportunities here at UUSF. Uh, And now I would like to announce that as co-chair of the annual operating fund drive, I'd like to give you an update on our efforts to raise $750,000 for the church's work and staff and ministries and programs and outreach throughout the next year. We are more than halfway to our goal. Hey, nice. Good. You'll also note I didn't say finished, so... uh, Keep it up, folks. Um, Thank you all who responded so quickly, saving Sam and me worry and having to get a second job or something. Uh, We need everyone to pledge in order to make our goal, which is still a stretch. Uh, So far, we have been buoyed uh, buoyed by people who have shown up. And if you are among those who pledged, uh, please come to the table out in the courtyard, grab yourself a leaf, write your name on it, put it up on the wall so we can see everyone who's donated. Uh, You are part of this journey together with all the twists and turns and its discoveries and uncertainty and the ways we have weathered it strong because of how each of us showed up. To pledge, if you have yet to do so, you can go to uusf.org slash pledge if you are online or you can come out and see Sam and I at the table out there. Uh, after the service today and fill out a pledge form. Uh, So many options for you to do. Uh, If you have pledged, feel free to come by the table, grab a succulent, uh, and enjoy it. Uh, At this time, I would like to invite forward Robin Larson who is one of the founding members of our UUSF Women's Group. Robin?
3: Um, I'm announcing a a march uh, that's gonna be taking place nationwide at noontime on Saturday, April 9th. And it's uh, sponsored by our UUSF Women's Group, which is now in, I think, maybe our fourth or fifth meeting. We meet every Saturday, the first Saturday and the third Saturdays of the month at 11 a.m. And I do hope any of you who are interested will continue to join us and, and join up now. At any rate, this nationwide march is to protect abortion rights it's sponsored by a group called riseupforabortionrights.org and it takes place on Spruill Plaza at UC Berkeley Plaza, a uh, campus, and the group will be coordinating transportation for those who need it. And at the next two Sunday services, we, will, we hope to be offering bright green bandanas to wear at the march. The group whose coordinator is Lori Lai, Wonder Woman, and whose facilitators are Julia Wald, Judy Strachan, Veronica Masterson, and me. And we're hoping to recruit as many UUSF members as possible to join the march. Women's reproductive rights are human rights, and right now, their protection is under serious threat. So um, that's all my announcement.
0: Thank you, Robin. Finally, in this season, when we talk about generosity, gratitude, and legacy, uh, seemed time to tell you a little bit about something that has been going on, and uh, someone we'd like to thank. For that, I'd like to invite forward Merle Easton, Dan Barnard, and Linda Anger.
4: You've seen the scaffolding out in front of the building for the last few months. We're undergoing a repointing project, which means we're repairing the points or the joints between the bricks and the stones. We're strengthening the structure that protects the sacred space. We broke it into three phases. We started phase one last October. That included all the Geary Street side. Phase two was the tower. And phase three, which we're working on now, is the front entrance. As we were doing the research and planning for this effort, Merle Easton stepped forward. As an architect, she was well aware of how buildings are constructed. She brought an eye for detail in the planning and, the, and evaluating the quality of the work. As we were completing phase one, Merle offered to pay outright for the second phase. In this, thank you. In the season when we offer thanks for all folks who give, we wanted to acknowledge what Merle has made possible.
5: Thank you. I don't know if I can talk through these two masks. Maybe I should take one off. Okay. Uh, I think your exposure is minimal. I think it's fine. It's okay. I'll just take them both off then. Okay. So thank you. I'll vouch thank
1: for your safe uh, living. <laughs> thank
5: you. Thank you, uh, Vanessa, for inviting me to speak today, and Julie Wald from the stewardess committee to uh, get me here today, and Dan Bernard for allowing me to participate in this uh, project. Um, Of course, before I moved to San Francisco in 1979, I was very well aware of how beautiful this church was and how important it is architecturally, and the addition of the center with it, which was built in 1966, getting um, accolades and awards from the uh, American Institute of Architects who uh, appreciated and uh, love the uh, connection between the two uh, buildings. So w- armed with that, when I moved here, of course I was here right away, I w- have been a, a Unitarian for uh, a long, very long time. Um, it, I, you haven't seen me recently because I have an incurable neurovascular condition that has kept me at home. And this started before the uh, pandemic, so I have been so appreciative of the Zoom. I um, just have been connected to everybody here because of it. So I'm one of the few people who appreciate (laughs) a pandemic, but I'm hoping that... (laughs) Anyway, regarding the Stone reporting, I had uh, been interested in this because... On the Geary side over here, the um, pointing looked like it had been modern pointing, meaning that the condition was a new repair. And being aware of the difficulty, technically, for the new uh, grout to be mixed with Portland cement rather than the lime, which was used for historic buildings, I I got myself involved. (laughs) So as Dan said, the grout is the material that's used to fill the gaps between the stones and it holds them together. But contemporary masonry uses Portland cement which is harder than the lime used in historic buildings and brick buildings. When the hard grout is used, movement can cause the stone and the brick to crack. So last spring, during the budget meetings, when the need for our reporting, repointing project was presented, a photo showed the cracks clearly in the sandstone at the roof. So knowing that the grout mix is complicated, the process is complicated, uh, Dan and I took a webinar class from the International Masonry Association and Dan had already contacted some masonry contractors and we were so fortunate to have Lamar O'Neill not only have the right credentials for this project, but also was available to do the job. And in a city with very few masonry buildings, that is remarkable. So Dan has done an outstanding job administering the work and I am so happy to have been able to assist him in protecting this magnificent building for the future generations. So, thank you. Thank you.
3: Merle,
6: on behalf of the Board of Trustees, I'd like to give you these flowers and say, One more time, thank you so much for your contribution.
1: And thanks, Dan, for your part. It occurs to me, mortar, the way you described it, Merle, is a perfect metaphor for the two of you, for all of us, in what we do in communities, just a beautiful metaphor. I also wanna point out that John Buren's, John, can you stand up for those of you who don't, in the green sweater, he will actually come up front at the end of service for those who would like to take a tour of the building and learn some more about the history and architecture. So come up after service and join John for a tour.
0: And now, If we could, uh, let's all take a moment to greet one another uh, as you are comfortable doing so. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another.
2: From all that dwell below the skies, let songs of hope and faith arise. Let peace, goodwill, on earth be sung through every land, by every town. Mm-hmm. De todos bajo el gran sol, sur esperanza fe amor. Verdad y belleza cantando
1: recognizing there is human suffering and struggle all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong this morning in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first in recognition of those who are in our detention camps and at our borders but in honor also of refugees and asylum seekers everywhere, immigrants and even citizens of our nation for whom home is a dream and not yet a reality who cry out for welcome and the chance to make a life strong and rooted and where they know they belong. May the world May we make that kind of welcome. We hold in our hearts and ring our gong once additionally for those who have lost their lives this week to COVID-19. 35,619 people around the globe, 5,420 in the United States, and holding out gratitude also for the downward trend overall, tipping the balance of the pandemic in this moment back toward life. And finally, for the people of Ukraine, the people whose national flower is the sunflower, holding out in solidarity with them the prayers for an end to bloodshed and a restoration of peace and of sovereignty, protected. For all these losses spoken and those we each bring in our own hearts this hour, we hold those named and those spoken quietly in our own thoughts and in our prayers. May we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. invite us into a time of spoken meditation and quiet. Because the world is noisy, we need and make a time for silence. Because silence alone has a very different quality from that silence that is shared, we hold this silence together. As we live in a world where we are judged too often by what we do, we cease for a moment the expectation to do anything. Because it is our being that will speak through our lives, our presence, the spirit, we imbue in relationship, we make a time to be present, to the still center of our deepest self, and to be together. Be with me, if you will, in this time of shared silence, stillness, Breathe into it. Surrender to breath and presence. Amen.
6: Good morning, my name is Lori Lai, and I'm the treasurer of the, on the UUSF Board of, uh, of Trustees. Long before I joined UUSF, I was a trail leader with the University of Hawaii Sierra Club, and on my rare days off from uh, studying or working part-time to put myself through college, I would lead hikes and enjoy the lush tropical forests of Oahu. One of the trails that I especially enjoyed was the Pomoho Ridge Trail, which is an amazing hike through tropical forests up to the Ko'olau summit with spectacular views on the northeastern shores of Oahu. The Poomoho Ridge Trail is especially significant to me, not only because of its rewarding views at the summit, and challenging hiking conditions, such as plank bridges, narrow, windy, and sometimes muddy ridge paths with steep terrain on one or both sides, but also because my father worked in the Civilian Conservation Corps in the 1930s, and the CCC Camp in Waihawa transformed an obscure wilderness trail into this accessible trail to be enjoyed by the public. Afuilai was in his late teens when the Waihewa Camp was established in 1934. He was old enough to understand that the Great Depression of the 1930s hit Hawaii very hard. The sugar and pineapple economy of the American colonizers had collapsed due to lack of demand for such goods. Lacking a diversified economic base, the people of Hawaii faced high unemployment, which reached 25% in 1936, leading to the threat of starvation across the islands. Wandering in the wilderness that was the Depression with little to eat and no money in his pockets, My father jumped at the chance to join the CCC, as did an estimated 8 to 10% of Hawai'i's young men at the time. They They were provided food, clothing, and shelter, and free medical care, and were paid $30 a month. Of that amount, $25 was deducted and sent directly to their families. Through their backbreaking work and endless hours to- toiling in the hot and humid conditions, my father and his CCC colleagues built a legacy of hiking trails and provided much-needed sustaining support for their families. Their contributions also meant that the people of Hawaii survived these hard times, and their kids' grandchildren and great-grandchildren would contribute to the building of today's Hawaii and beyond. I appreciate my father's courage and determination to build trails and stabilize his family's economic situation and help his community through the depression years. 90 years later, I determined to support UUSF with a pledge to support our society through the wilderness of the pandemic, which is hopefully past the worst but still not over. UUSF has given me a spiritual home and much needed support when pandemic triggered anti-Asian hate um, had affected me personally. Let's continue to help each other through these still challenging times by making our pledges to sustain this religious community. Happy trails, everyone.
1: Our reading this morning is from Strength to Strength by Arthur C. Brooks. He is currently a professor of public leadership at the Harvard Kennedy School and at the Business School, also a professor, a social scientist. And he writes this book about finding success and happiness and purpose in the second half of life. And Brooks opens with this story. The chapter is titled, The Man on the Plane Who Changed My Life. It's not true that no one needs you anymore. These exasperated words came from an elderly woman sitting behind me on a late night flight from Los Angeles to Washington, DC. The plane was dark and quiet and most people were either sleeping or watching a movie. I was working on my laptop, feverishly trying to finish something now completely lost to memory, but at that time that seemed to be of crucial importance to my life, happiness, and future. A man, I assumed to be her husband, murmured almost inaudibly in response. Again, his wife, stop saying that it would be better if you were dead. Now they had my full attention. I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I couldn't help it. As the lights were switched on after touchdown, I finally got a look at the desolate man I'd imagined. I was shocked. I recognized him. He was well-known, famous even. Then in his mid-80s, he had been universally beloved as a hero for his courage, patriotism, and accomplishment of many decades ago. I have admired him since I was young. As he passed up the aisle of the plane behind me, passengers recognized him and murmured with veneration. Standing at the door of the cockpit, the pilot recognized him and said, echoing my own thoughts, sir, I have admired you since I was a little boy. The older man, apparently wishing for death just a few minutes earlier, beamed in recognition of his past glories, I, wondered, which more accurately describes the man? The one filled with joy and pride right now, or the one 20 minutes ago telling his wife, he might as well be dead. That mystery ends our reading. how when people um, chant certain ancient chants that in some traditions the belief is that those chants link with people saying them around the globe but also resonate through time, pulling us together. I think of that, reiko when you're playing the organ, these pieces, they seem to just resonate through time and weave us to other churches and other moments of worship through the centuries, it's a lovely feeling. The man that Arthur Brooks observed on the plane ride overheard first that he describes, Brooks does at the opening of his book, that mystery man of accomplishment and public stature that Brooks overhears saying that he wished he were dead, the same man that others reached out to to shake his hand and thank him for what he had done as he exited the plane just moments later. Maybe that person is you, or me, or might be. Not that we're famous, although maybe some of you are, but that many of us will wonder whether our life will add up the way we thought it might in the end. Life is often about the chase, moment to moment, of our lives. Going where passion or ambition or simple necessity of duty and opportunity takes us. Maybe not thinking until late in the game about how it will look when the race is run and the dots are connected as we look back over the path that we've laid, cut through the wilds of life. And wondering if any of it will endure, the way Lori's father's literal trails cut through nature did endure. Endure. What will endure? It's hard to know, isn't it, what legacy is worth plowing one's life into? Arthur Brooks was so worried by the man on the plane that he spent the next nine years of social scientific energy researching what to do with the second half of his life so that he wouldn't end up despairing like the man he overheard. And he spent those nine years asking, too, what things were worth pursuing in the second half of life, and were they the same as what you might want to spend and bet on in the first half of life, asking what was the work of each half of life and how that might add up together for a life that made sense that was more likely to leave you at peace when you hung up your hat for the last time and that study changed the course of Brooks's choices. The book I read from is worth a read, I think. If you're in the first half of life, you'll be affirmed in the idea of living boldly and doing all those creative things, risking on new theories, claiming whatever territories of mind and heart you feel drawn to. You'll learn that most Nobel Prize winners going back for more than a century, too, made their discoveries in their late 30s. They may have won the award later, but it was work that they did while they were younger, even in their 20s. You'll learn, too, that our skills diminish statistically, empirically proven to diminish earlier, much earlier than I think many of us suspect. You can read the book and. See the stats for each possible profession if you're interested in getting granular. The stats are that most of us peak 20 years after we start a career, and then it's the slow diminishment. That's where I would find myself. And you'll learn that the second half of life is better spent, not doubling down often on the same things that we often choose in the first half. Apparently, in the second half of life, we have different strengths. We do have some strengths, so that's the good news. And if this is where we choose to grow, we can distinguish ourselves in a different way. Only certain professions are made tailor-made for growing older. So if you're wondering about legacy in terms of distinguishing yourself, read the book, find out some of the facts about how we humans (laughs) work. But I don't think the man in the plane was despairing about distinguishing himself. I think it was that vision of legacy that he found faulty that night. Marcus Aurelius, the second-century Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher, didn't believe much in legacy, not the kind that had any name attached to it. He wrote, brief is the longest posthumous fame, buoyed only by a succession of poor human beings who will very soon die and who know little of themselves, much less of someone who died long ago. I think a lot of wise people through time, gurus and teachers and just people who have watched enough of life unfold to come, many of them, to the same conclusion. I turned on the radio a couple of weeks ago while I was driving somewhere in the program that came on. Midstream was an interview. All of the callers who phoned in were giving thanks for the influence of the woman who was being interviewed, the influence she'd had on her, them, her presence and leadership in various circles of creative, cultural creatives, and they were giving thanks for her writing, especially. I waited and waited to find out who she was, piecing together little bits of information during the hour, and then the interviewer, or one of the callers, asked what it was like for her to have so deeply shaped Latin American literature, and what did she think her legacy would be? And the woman answered without hesitation and with some force and complete clarity. And what I remember her saying was something like, I don't believe in legacy. I don't think we have a legacy. I think that's a thing some people think, but I don't believe in it. We women know that nothing lasts. And then she nodded, I can't remember her words, but nodded to the everyday tasks and callings of life and people as all we should be worried about, just living into that. The woman The woman, it turned out, was Isabel Allende, author of 21 works of fiction and five works of non-fiction, born in Chile, but now also an American citizen, Allende, who is arguably the most widely read Spanish-language author ever. But she doesn't believe that anything lasts or legacy is worth her time or focus. It's interesting in these last two years to think about this, right? These years when we've seen statues come down around the country. Names come off state buildings. That What we know as something that passes muster as a notable legacy in one era is able to fail the test in another. Schools in our own city, 44 of them, names taken away, legacies. Reevaluated, and every January, too, it strikes me, when we get ready to celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., there's a conversation around the edges of the celebrations about legacies and its use and abuse. In the conversations I'm always listening deeply to, there is this frustration, even disappointment, about the way the legacy of King is used. The man, the thinker, the person of faith, the activist, and in particular about how he's often stripped of all his hard edges and rigorous demands for a version of him that gets held up, that is less threatening and more supportive of the status quo. He made every attempt to dismantle. In both those cases, it strikes me, legacy as fame or prestige is precarious business, isn't it? If it happens, it happens, but to aim for it, it's to aim for something that you know you won't be able to control how it's used, how you are used. Or whether we're all worthy of it retroactively at all or want to be held up to that kind of scrutiny, the world always moving on in its deeper wisdom. But also, let's be honest, most legacies, ones with a name attached, I think Aurelius is right, they'll soon be forgotten. In the book, Strength to Strength that I read from, Arthur Brooks interviews a man who's newly retired and was a CEO of some note, who says, last year I was in Who's Who, This year, I'm who's he? (laughs) I think that's true of most of us, or will be. I had a little taste of it in April, no wait, January, that I experienced when I went to a conference that's for UU professionals. It's a conference that nine and 10 years ago, I helped run as this group of people in charge of professional education for our minister's association. But I'd been largely out of circulation with colleagues because I was out of ministry for a few years and living abroad and then moved here and was adjusting and then pandemic. And there was a sea of colleagues, a sea of colleagues that had no idea who I was or that I was anyone of any note which was sobering, and a really good experience to have, because that truth does set us free, free of illusions, disappointment, free to live in the light of it. What if we embrace, really embrace, you and I, if you haven't already, the wisdom of the Upanishads, that when we die, we fall back into the ocean, the larger ocean, like a drop of water merging back into its source? And what if our life on Earth merges back into the larger wave of history of which we are a part? What if that is more often the case, more often the natural course of things? then, then our legacy, our only legacy, the only one we can plan on and count on, is simply to leave the larger body of life as healthy and alive and blessed as we can, and to do so free from all the wasted energy of trying to have our name attached to it and get credit for everything that happens, Would we celebrate all the work that each of us does in the world and thank people, thank one another and cheer each other along for the gorgeous good that we do or try to do? Yes. There's nothing wrong with appreciating the good done in the world while we're here and cheering it on, cheering one another on. Gratitude is gorgeous and it is this virtuous cycle that we feed, regale that spirit, delight in it, set off fireworks and toast with champagne or coffee and applause. But doing all of this out of this wise sage-like, wisdom that knows that no one when you're gone, when I'm gone, when we are gone may know that it was us who did any of it. But the legacy of love endures. When I was in the church in Summit, New Jersey, that I served prior to coming here, we had this corner property and we were cornered in, literally, by this other property owner, the Dangler Funeral Parlor. If that isn't an incredible name for a funeral parlor, I don't know what is. But when he went out of business, he passed away and his wife was selling the property. We decided to make a bid to buy it, but none of us knew how to do a capital campaign, so I literally took a crash course, one day course, in NYU at their Center for Philanthropy on capital drives and read the, the book that they gave and paired up with this incredible lay who also knew absolutely nothing, and we both joined this incredible learning curve, and as soon as we can, we started making visits because we had to put a bid in fast. My partner was this stockbroker, and we decided, Well, they told us we have to ask for a specific sum. We have no data to know what anybody's capable of. And I didn't, but they tell us you have to ask for a number. And I didn't want people to feel bad. I wanted them to feel good about whatever they did. But I also knew, I knew from personal experience that if anyone did less than they could, if they picked too easy a number to give to that effort, they wouldn't feel about the work the way I wanted them to. I knew that we were in this significant chapter in that institution's life. And I wanted everyone, when they drove by that lot with that new building eventually, every time they drove by it with a friend visiting in town or their grandkids, to be able to point to it with huge pride and say, I helped make that possible. And to know that they had dug deep To make that possible. And that experience informed and still does my notion of legacy, this idea that we have pride, maybe the only kind of pride that doesn't leave you despairing on the plane, late at night reflecting when we look back and we know that we dug deep and offered ourselves with courage, and with love, and with generosity to the world. Plowed our lives into it. Individual accomplishment, it's a bit of a lie. I don't think that's actually where the deepest joy lives. It's why, for me, places like this church and places like it, wherever they exist, are for me the places where real legacy lives. And someday in the not-so-distant future, we all will hover in this space like a cloud of proud witnesses, literally or metaphorically, when we're gone. But this will endure with grout holding the rocks together and the stones weathering the storms like the one we just weathered because people dug deep, people like us before us and us after them. This is legacy. Our family is a place of legacy. Our wider communities and making them strong are a place of legacy. Our nation is legacy. World peace, is a legacy. How we treat one another in every moment of interaction is a legacy. As Maya Angelou was famous for saying, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. As Unitarian Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote about legacy, to appreciate beauty, to find the beauty in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know that one has breathed, one life has breathed easier because you have lived. That is success. May the legacy of our lives be this kind of success. May we cheer one another on, laugh, delight, strive, endure heartbreak, pick ourselves up again and plow who we are and what we love into whatever garden patch is under our feet or within our reach, forge those trails for others to enjoy, trails that will endure beyond our time, love those near to us, try to love and serve those who are suffering beyond our reach, extend as far as we can to reach them Aim for what will endure beyond us literally and figuratively, shoring up walls with mortar to give shelter that will house the best collective work of all days, whatever we think it is. And know this as the legacy of the wise and the lovely, and the one we will be proud of when we look back over our shoulder or hang our hat by the door, the last time we bow to the last sunset of our days. I'm grateful to be on this journey of legacy with you all. May the best of us endure. Amen. standing as we send ourselves out into the world beyond these walls and so in our comings and our goings may the light of love shine upon us out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace for this is the day we are given Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.